best thing in life is free yet they wanna sell it Put a price tag on it and put it on the market Reaching in your pocket, well that's how they spark it Like a chess piece, don't you get play Let the rest remain I won't place myself in your time frame What a tangle web we weave Look at the mess we make Ain't no use in crying The battle has just begun Don't try deny it The damage already done Ain't no turning back now You got to face the sun No matter how you suss it out It all comes back to one, one Welcome everybody out to the Black Russian Podcast. I am Tianbuku One. I'm Yola. And we are here, episode seven, which is the Russian episode, her story, the origin story, where it all began, how it all came to here. So you say. So we say. We're going in. <laughs> but uh, first, what we'd like to do is uh, welcome everybody out. How are you? We had four birthdays. In the last two and a half weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So we had first our daughter turned nine on the fifth, then your sister, yep. right? On oh, the twelfth. On the twelfth, and then My dad, seventy on the fifteenth. Dad, seventy on the fifteenth. Our son, fifteen on the eighteenth, and yeah. my mom's seventieth birthday tomorrow. So that's a lot of birthdays. Luckily, they're not happy, u- ultra happy materialistic, right? Luckily, they're not ultra materialistic because we no, i think we're over all that that's good all right well good good so oh <laughs> let me turn these beats down we got beats by my man dj ambush i got them cranking up loud because i was feeling them but they're probably too loud for talking right now let's crank it down a little bit so let's recap we had road life episode six had a good response felt pretty good it was kind of like going down memory lane since I don't tour as much as I used to. It was to. good. It made, made us think about things and reminded us how good that part was and how helpful it was. Yeah, and how important it was, I guess, mm-hmm. for us to even make it to this point, right? Yeah. So that's really cool. We had a good response. A lot of the people that I met or toured with kind of felt the nostalgia too. <laughs> you know, some of the stories, some people were like, man... I remember that. Oh, blood, it's been so long. Really? I haven't heard anything about yeah. that. Yeah, well, you weren't, you know, you weren't part of that cipher. No, I'm just kidding. No, clearly. Nah, you know, just cats that I tour with, you know, like dudes that I've been on the road with. I heard it. They're just like, wow, you know, like, I remember that trip to Australia. I remember when you were talking about that. Like, I remember I was there. Or, mm, yeah. you know, um, you know, even just, you know, women that I've met that I've been close to on the road, you know, that kind of just, it just ties everything in. It kind of, mm-hmm. everything makes sense. And so I got someone reach out to me in Russian. Yeah. Full on Russian. I was so excited. 
Who would have thunk it? Totally. Amazing. <laughs> so that's pretty cool, you know. Um, so basically what we're doing is we're kind of rounding out the first phase of the Black Russian podcast. And it's kind of like we're kind of doing it like Marvel Cinematic Universe, like phase one, phase two, phase three. Um, and so pretty much one through eight are going to be or what they've been, I guess, is all the core topics that we will be talking about. Um, and we really wanted to emphasize each of them on each episode, like a specific topic, like monogamy and polyamory and sex exploration and things like that. So once we get through these last two episodes, which will be the Russian episode and the black episode, then we will continue into phase two, which is, you know, episodes that are just about whatever we want to talk about with the undertone of the things, the core things that are important to us. Mm -hmm. um, we'll be gossiping. Yeah, we'll be gossiping. We might include some current events. We'll definitely be looking to have more guests on, on the on the podcast. You know, people who've been listening or just people who we like or people we think would just be so contrastingly funny to be on this episode or that episode or whatever it is. Um, so before we go into quotes, like we say on every episode... No relationship style is more or less divine. It's the quality of work that is put in between the two people together and as individuals. We are not pro this form or that form or pro writing your own vows, writing your own script, being honest with yourself, living your honesty, living your truth, and um, finding the people that appreciate who you really are, not who you pretend to be. So that's what we're pro, right? Anything mm -hmm. I'm missing anything out? Nope. Communication. But that's kind of wrapped into everything you said. Okay. Anti-bullshit. 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 Okay, so we'll go with the quotes, quotes, quotes. Um, I'll go, strength lies in differences, not in similarities. That's my first quote. Yeah, we're quite different. Yeah. Make sure you move your mouth when you're talking tonight. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Totally agree. All right. And then we'll go become friends with people who aren't your age. Hang out with people whose first language isn't yours. Get to know someone who isn't from your community. This is how you open your mind. This is how you grow. New pastures, new people, new places. Chuck, chuck, chuck. All right, this one you will like. It says, don't raise your voice. Improve your argument. There you go. And my last one is diversity. The art of thinking independently together. That's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Blessed are those who can give without remembering and take without forgetting. I love giving. Love, <laughs> love giving. Okay. We're all a bunch of givers here. Hold on a second. Pause. Okay, we're back. We just had to get a quick little mic check, make sure everything was good. This is a very important episode for you guys and for Yula. I say it right? Yula. Almost. For you, la. So this episode is her origin story. It's all about Yula Kalk, where she's from, how she works, how she became the superhero podcast co-host that she is today. Brave 
human being of non-monogamy and dealing with beautiful, powerful storms of people all around. Um, so why don't we start from the beginning? Okay, how about a disclaimer? Okay. <laughs> I prepared nothing. I'm a little nervous. Okay. My control freak is kind of freaking out. Honesty. Well, I have a feeling that... So I have to trust you. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling that if there's one topic you're probably the most experienced and knowledgeable about is you. Well, that's not what I'm concerned about. Oh, oh about me asking questions yeah, that I'm, shock I'm your concerned. girls? No, I'm concerned about like how you prepared and where you're going to go. Well, you, you know, know, next episode you'll be asking the yeah. questions. And yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. So we'll start. We're kind of loosely going to do it in decades. So we'll start like where were you? What was your full name and where were you born? Full name never changed. Been married twice, never changed my name. Yulia uh, Kalk, short Yula. I was born in Siberia. Uh, the name of the city is Tomsk. My parents went to university there, and that's where I was born. Cool. And do you say your name different in Russian than in English? Nope. Do you have a nickname? Nope. No, Yulishka or Yulishkluka? Nope. Really? What? What do your what do your parents call you? They call me Yula. Like Knopka or something? No. Karina has the nickname. Oh, that's right. Okay. No. Trying to no. be. I'm I trying don't to... have a nickname. All right. She's just straight up like Madonna. Just one well, word. I no. mean, my sister has a nickname for me. What's that? She calls me Schwabra. Schwabra. <laughs> what is that? Like smooth sheep? Or something like that? Is that dolphin flesh? <laughs> no. Schwabra, the little translation is like a, uh, what do you call it? A mop. A mop? Yeah. Like an MOP? Little, like what you yeah. mop the floor yeah, with? what you mop the floor That's with. That's a sweet term of endearment. Thanks, sis. So tell us a little bit about your life where, where you grew up. Well, I grew up in Lithuania. I was born in Siberia and then shortly after my parents and my sister and I moved to Lithuania. That's where my dad is originally from. He's uh, Jewish from Lithuania and my mom is Russian from Russia. So he moved all of us back to Lithuania when I was probably less than a year old. So we can say that my whole life up until we moved uh, to uh, San Francisco in 91 was spent in Lithuania. Okay. And why, was, uh, why did he move to Lithuania? His parents lived there. He was from there. Lithuania was the western part of the Soviet Union. You always want to go west if you live there. The further west, the better, the better the life is, and that's where he was from. That's where he took us back to. Oh, okay, and um, you know, and what was like, what was life like growing up in Lithuania? What were some core concept ideals that shaped your personality, good and bad? Um, it was a couple of layers. First of all, it was the Soviet Union, so you know the whole Soviet reality behind the curtain, full of. Uh, kabuki theater and corruption and all of that. What you see is not what it is. You, you grow up with knowing that. Um, I don't even know if anyone, by the time that I was in school, if anyone believed in what was happening in the Soviet Union, but everyone had to play the role. Like we all had to be part of this, you know, part of the uh, young communist organizations. I actually was a leader of one. 
but it was all a theater like no right. one really believed in it at least i don't think any of my friends believed in it but you kind of had to play it right so that was one part you know the propaganda the the stupid rules the the lack of stuff in stores the black market um and on the other hand living in lithuania was uh, different because my family is uh, is russian or speaks russian living in lithuania that made us uh, second class and it always felt you could always feel that you do not belong like lithuanians it, the history is really deep uh, Russians or Soviets in, invaded Lithuania. Lithuanians proactively hated anything that had to do with Russian-speaking population. And you always felt it. So I never felt like I was at home when I lived there. Oh, okay. And what were, uh, what were a couple of, like, the stupid rules, like the... The stupid rules. Well... You had to belong to organizations. Like you had to belong to the young communist organizations. Um, if you were expelled for whatever reason, it was very dramatic. And then in order to advance to the next levels, like in education, in uh, work, certain jobs, you had to be a member of the communist party of which no one in my family was. So certain levels were unreachable for my family, but apparently it was pretty much a known fact that no one was going to uh, become the member of the party just to reach the levels. Like my grandpa apparently had a chance and he said no. My mom was asked to be and she said no. So it, it was, I mean, it was... Uh, that was part of living in, in the Soviet Union. I mean, you couldn't, basic Soviet reality, you could not own, you, there was no private property. Uh, I mean, you could own your car and your clothes and the furniture in your apartment, but you didn't own the apartment. You couldn't own a business. You could not profit from anything. You only could hold a job. Wow. That's crazy. So, um... Yeah. Well, let's just go back. So, what was I mean? What was the childhood like? Like, what was your childhood like? Like from my zero childhood to ten? was perfect. <laughs> like this, this is walls, the structure, the shit was fucked yeah, up. Yeah. Well, that was but my life was great though. But that was around, you know, that was what was around. But uh, I was lucky enough to be living in a bubble. Um, my uh, family was uh, probably like higher, like. Well, if we were comparing classes, you'll probably higher or upper middle class or even higher than that. Mm -hmm. And that was through, I don't even know, education, uh, the number of years, like the history of living in Lithuania, the connections. Uh, and then my dad is a hustler. My dad never wanted to work. Like he held a job because it was illegal to not hold a job, but he always had side side hustles. He believes in connecting people, in meeting people, in being useful to people, and then receiving something in return. 
So although we lived in a Soviet reality where you could not go to a store and buy decent clothes, I always had nice clothes. You couldn't go to a store and buy good food. We always have good food. So I did not, I never felt I lacked for anything. That's good. So zero to, you know, from, so from, I guess you weren't conscious from, from zero one or two. I was like, not conscious till so, I was like, I don't know, no, 25. So, you know, so tell us about, you know, your, you said from, from zero to 10. So you got in that time frame, um, how was love and, and, and appreciation expressed in your family? Was there affection or how did you guys share love or how was that expressed? Well, um, there's a couple of very basic differences between how things were communicated in the society back at home versus how things are communicated there. One of the major ones is that uh, I don't think anyone there says I love you nearly as at all. Wow. Like it's not saying I love you to your kids or I love you to your parents. It just doesn't exist. It feels unnatural. My parents just now will say that to uh, me or uh, I don't even know that they can say that in Russian to me. Wow. Uh, they'll say it to our kids, but that's because they know that I say it and they like hearing it. So, uh, you know, as a um, as a expression of uh, endurance that just didn't exist. Right. So just more just through structured love. Just yeah, fluid, more through structure. Something. There is there's some like my family is not very physical, physically affectionate. Right. Like you can see that, right? Uh, and so that's and wasn't, wasn't a lot of hugging growing up. No, there was not a lot of hugging. And then, what, from what I'm seeing now is that, um, you know, my mom was brought into my dad's family. Uh, my dad's family is Jewish. My mom's family is Russian. And back then, that marriage was pretty much as scandalous, if not more, than yours and mine. Wow. So being married for a non-Jew, it 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 was it was. Uh, not okay from both sides. Wow. The Jewish family did not want a non-Jewish uh, daughter-in-law at all, and that was very openly expressed. And then uh, the non-Jewish family um, could not understand why she would voluntarily go and live with the Jews. Right. And that was openly expressed as well. So my mom got caught between the rock and the hard place and got stuck there for many, 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 many years. Wow. And um, I think that if she lived in her natural environment, she would have been a lot more affectionate and she wants a lot more affection, but that didn't exist in my dad's family and that's where she was. So it was all suppressed. Wow. So were the, the Russians where she was from much more affectionate? Culturally, I think so. Now, is that an overall Jewish thing that they're not a, that physically? No, or just, I don't just know. It's just from? my family, you know, right. intellectuals and blah blah blah. I just, I don't know. I right. don't know why that is. So, before the age of ten, were there any thoughts or feelings about sexuality or sense of self? Oh, for sure. Yeah, like ten, five. Five. So, what was your early <laughs> recollections of your of your sexuality and, and stuff? Um. Uh, 
Well, I know for a fact that I think I learned how to masturbate when I was like five. Toys, stuffed animals between your legs. Very efficient. Very efficient. Wait. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Teddy Rex Pinor. Well, so what was the what was the toy like what was the shape of the toy was it a, a horse a bear well, probably something like a horse or something like that so, i don't remember now my memory is not so good i just remember like certain uh very bright spots but then fuzzing around those right so you're pretty sure you learn how to masturbate oh yeah by toys in between the legs yeah for sure now were these toys like stuffed soft animal toys or like like hard porcelain no they were stuffed they were not hard okay. <laughs> they were stuffed They're no i did stuffed. not have like a marble dildo or anything like that <laughs> like no but i had a porcelain horse or a porcelain doll you no, just rub no, your face no, all between no. your legs it was soft okay um now i remember so, you, you were just telling us a story the other day about your first uh, experience with like non-monogamy <laughs> you're saying you knew from a very early age that you were you had a different way so what was it tell us the story so one of those bright spots that i remember and then not remember don't remember anything else is in preschool and again it's state owned you know a bunch of kids no one's happy there um but i was probably again five because I started school, I was five or six, because I started school at seven. Um, and there were two boys that liked me. And then during nap time, I remember, so we were all napping on cots, and mm -hmm. they were all lined up in rows. Right. So all I remember is uh, being on a cot, one boy on one side, the other boy on the other side, and I was holding each one of those their hands but neither one of them knew that i was holding the other boy's hand and it was just perfectly fine right so there was no i mean five no. no communication there was no <laughs> no where you're my boyfriend we you're my did girlfriend. not discuss any anything right. it was, no no it was not discussed but you weren't you didn't get in trouble for that no one looked at you mm -hmm. any weird and no one said anything no but that was that normal i mean people... I, i'm sure it was not normal okay did no. you feel like you were not normal for doing that yeah well i felt like i was not normal right so you felt you were you already you were like an in, inhuman from an early age like you felt like there was just something a little bit different about you i'm pretty well well i was told uh, it, it was different you know of course i was raised to be this perfect uh amazing basically perfect child so i was at that i was told you know, I knew for a fact that I was better than others. Right. That was never that was never even a question in my mind. Right. Of course, I was better than others. Right. You know, you know my name. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, so your sexuality came in early. Did it? Was yeah. it consistent from then at five, or mm -hmm. was it like a, it just kind of was something that you yeah, enjoyed? Yeah. No, I knew. I mean, it was really fun always. As soon as I started feeling it, it was fun. I always looked for ways to uh, play with it. Um, I had some, you know, I remember being probably seven, seven or eight. And um, we used to live in a summer house every summer. So this other girl and I would go like wander off into the woods and play sexual games like play doctor and you had to take your underwear off and 
all that stuff. What was the what was the game called in Russian? Uh, we played doctor, and that's what it was called. Yeah, you didn't врача. say it in England. Yeah, in English, no. though, what did you say? It? Играли во врача. Say it again. Врач is doctor. Doctor. Right. Врач. So was it like, let's play doctor, or yeah. we're gonna play doctor? No, it was pretty much we're gonna play doctor. Somehow her and I were on the same wavelength. Right. So how would I have no idea what her name is now. Like <laughs> I have no clue. I mean, I don't even know who she is. Right. So like give us an idea in Russian if you can, like how this conversation would go. So it's kinda of, kinda of, we can kinda of get a picture if we just listen. Like what would you say in Russian? Like what was there any dialogue or um it was probably like uh Ты хочешь играть в доктора? Или ты хочешь играть во врача? And she goes, да. Yeah, pretty much. All right. So were you a dom or you a submissive back then? Um, it was both. Yeah? Yeah, it was both. Switch? I don't think I had, yeah, I don't think I had an orientation. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't dom. It was just curious. I mean, it was just pure curiosity and you, like, I knew it felt awesome and Right. Why not do it? And you weren't, there was no like sexual shame or taboos that you felt for doing that? Well, or? no, I knew that it was not to be discussed or, you know, it was not going to, if someone stumbled upon us or anything like that, that would be a problem. But I, it didn't stop me from doing it, clearly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so was that part of like a part of your shaping of your sexuality and how you communicate or chose not to communicate? Um, based upon early things like you know, like well, knowing pro- things, you, probably you know. because not you know people did not communicate. My parents didn't communicate. You know my parents just because we all lived um, in my grandma's apartment. Right. I, and I explained to you today like living living arrangements were very different back then. You couldn't rent a place. You couldn't own a place. You had to be assigned an apartment by the government and it was usually through your work it was a whole big deal so we were all living five of us we were living in uh, my grandparents place and it was uh, considered large by their standards Uh, it was four rooms in total so my parents had a room my grandma and my sister and I shared the room and there was a dining room and then my parents for the longest time had uh I don't know, I, I'm sure no one even asked them how they wanted their room to be. It was just, this is the furniture and that's how you sleep. And there were two twin beds. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't even know what and how and, you know. Wow. So, okay. So moving into like the tens to the twenties. So we get into your adolescent phase, you know, how was that? Like, what was the, what was the biggest change like, let's say, you know, once you're out in your 10, 11, 12-year-old era. Um, well, the boys came in. Right. Like, the actual relationships with boys, where you could start going out and spending time and hanging out with boys. When was that? How early was that? Mm, 11, 12. 11, 12? Okay. Yeah, like everyone, you know, sixth grade. Sixth right. grade definitely was a couple of girls and a couple of boys, and we would all go to the movies and go from one you know someone's place to another person's place and try and find time when parents weren't there and all that stuff right 
Well, so were you dating or were you like boyfriend, girlfriend? Because, you know, I, I was really soft. So I was already like, will you be my I girlfriend and stuff? And in, in, when I was in sixth grade, yeah, I was definitely uh, a boy. Like, there was this boy that really, really, really liked me. Mm-hmm. And uh, although I know I didn't really, really like him, but I liked him enough. So we were kind of together. But then uh, there was a group of us, probably three girls and three guys. And then this other guy, one of the three, started liking me. So we had a side deal going on. And <laughs> and it was. <laughs> and then it was dramatic for a while because the first one found out. And then they all got into a fight and stopped being friends. And it was. What did you do? Did you uh, go with the go with like the side guy, or did you just leave them both no, and go for the third guy? No, I think I, I think I stopped hanging out with the side guy, but then he was less interesting to begin with, so it was just he wasn't worth pursuing. Right. <laughs> so I kind of stayed hanging out with the main guy until I'm sure someone else came. Yeah, until someone else came along. Right. Who was more interesting? So the relationship with guys, even from a very very early age, was um, really fueled by curiosity, not necessarily oh, by sure. a sense of loyalty or there's no like, there's no perceived structure of relationship like you have to be this way no. or you need no. to be. No, and it was like I never, uh, I did not meet anyone that I I was in love with until uh, like I was fourteen. I I was this one. Uh, where I thought I was, you know, in love with. But before then, there were guys that really obviously like very, liked me a lot. But I was like, okay, well, I like him enough. We can hang out. Right. So I would let him, like, touch me and stuff. But I was not returning any favors. Right. So just laid back and be yeah, be explored. And you'd be like, all right, you know. No, yeah, yeah. Bit, I mean, this know, poor dude, great. this one guy. I mean, he he probably, if I talk to him now, he'd still tell me he loved me. <laughs> but I'd never, like, I'd let him, like, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I never, ever had sex with him. But I would, like, wait until he'd make me come. And I was like, okay, time to go. And you just get up? Yep. Just leave them all balls blue? Yep. For sure. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, now thinking back at it, it's terrible. Right. Yeah, that's serious. So so when was your first like sexual experience? I know someone asked that, so I'll just ask it now since it's part of this. The actual intercourse? Yeah. Well, you know, well, you, well let's take the broader a broader approach to sex. Like what when was the earliest like time that you really with a man or a woman who if it was um, you really felt like you were doing something sexual like, like when I was seven, I told you. Right, well, okay, next level, I guess, would be... Well, the next level, when I was 12, I let this guy, you know, explore me and learn how to make me calm, and it's a, does that consider, like, yeah. do you consider that? So that was 12. 12. So how long before you actually had sex did you discover how to come? Cause, I mean, it's, a lot it's, like I was five I learned, I taught myself I never had sex to like intercourse never had anything to do with with actually having an orgasm right well I mean yeah the reality is still doesn't yeah clearly <laughs> um, but okay so but the t- first time you had a guy or someone else contribute so to asking, your coming is 12 
Yeah. And did you have to guide him, or was it just kind of like he just figured it out? No, or? it was so easy back then. Like, it's like you know, it's like you put the condom on, you come. Like it's right. me, you know, someone t- someone else touches me, I come. It's not like a, you know, you need to you need to have any special powers. Right. Was it it's like somebody a, else's hand? <laughs> like ooh, novelty. Yeah. So was it like an orgasm come, or just like yeah, of course, yeah, okay. yeah like full wet, like walking around with panties and all right so <laughs> so back then when you guys were playing you know these touchy feely well he it was wasn't playing feely on you, it was touchy just a touchy no feely <laughs> um like did you guys communicate in russian did you say yeah, of things course. i mean were you saying things no no, no. there was nothing sexually said no. like how no. do, you, do you like this i do not have the language in russian i mean i don't even after having a boyfriend for a couple of years with like full-on intercourse and right. everything i don't have the language so what did you guys talk about you don't talk about sex you have sex and then you talk about everything else right so sex is more just a, it's a, extremely just a, different a moaning yeah. just a breathing and moaning well scenario. sex is like physically expressing how you feel right it has nothing to do with talking right so there was no like, how did you know, how did they know what, where boundaries were? How did you know? By touch. And so if it was like, well, no, that's you why say, now, uh-uh. like when you try to establish boundaries beforehand, I'm like, that's kind of stupid. Right. Why can't we go with the flow and physically know when. Right. And just say stop. no, say no when you don't like something. Else. Right. Or you push, like you physically move the hand. Right. So if they, if they like go for the reach around. Right. <laughs> Yes. And then I mean, they touch so, your booty hole on accident. You're like, yeah, exactly. gently grab their hand yes. quickly yeah. and slide well, in. Like, yeah, no, I mean, that's, you can totally. How, how do you think people communicate and have sex and communicate during sex if they totally do not speak each other's language? Right, so they, they don't have a choice. It's, you can easily communicate without speaking. All you right. should know that. So, <laughs> how do you... <laughs> How did you say? How do you? How would you say wrong hole? Oh my in God, Russian? Jesus! Неправильная дырка. Wait, say it again. Quit rubbing your face. Неправильная, wrong, дырка. Дырка. It sounds specific to that hole. Дырка, no. Дырка is a hole, like any hole. All right. <laughs> you like so. that? <laughs> I wish I could remember that. Well, I can write it down for you. Thank you. It may come in handy. We'll, when we do this live, we'll have the crowd participate and say yeah. it all together. Um, so your personal sexuality, your sense of yourself, your sense of your self-sexuality, there was, was there any like self-esteem issues or body issues or no. comparisons or no. any of that stuff? No. Not at all? Um, was it common for other women there too or was it more like a like here you know there's so much marketing and advertising towards this type of stuff that you know that plays a huge role in but i want to say that my body image i don't think had uh had less to do with sexuality than it did with being uncomfortable being in the society that i was in right that was you know like my whatever issues i have and like you know, I'm not going to say I never had any issues. Whatever issues I have or had uh, back in Lithuania had to do with living in a country that you clearly feel does not want you and right. you do not belong. 
you don't belong to. Right. So being outside, you know, how do, what do you, like speaking in at a store, speaking, like saying anything to the bus conductor, being like anything, anywhere. I did not speak the language of the country. Right. I so spoke the hidden language. Right. So they could tell by just, well, and just although, complete language. Yeah, of course. And it's like the vibe is immediately like, oh, yeah. Right. So you know you don't belong. So anything, you know, like, so you, you try to look cool. You try to look somewhat, you know, above it all. Right. And act that way. So it's not obvious that it's uncomfortable to you. Right. But it's very uncomfortable. So was it weird with the guys that were there? Like, how was that dynamic? Well, the, the whole thing was separated into, uh, you know, get separated in school. You, it was segregated. Right. Like completely. We had like uh, every uh, institution was separated into Lithuanian speaking and Russian speaking. So you start in preschool. If your family speaks Russian, you go to Russian speaking preschool. While you're in that, and then you go up through that lane to school and then higher education and all. While you're in that lane, you're in that bubble because all your teachers, all your preschool teachers, all the staff, everyone speaks Russian. All of your friends speak Russian. That's your social circle. All right. <clears throat> so um, there wasn't any, like, you weren't dating Lithuanian boys who were looking at you kind the of The first different. and only Lithuanian boy I dated was Rolandus Dat, right. was that I met in San Francisco. Right, so it was somewhat removed from that space. Yeah. Um, and were there any, like, were there any gay or lesbian or any of that type of energy there? There was, there was, definitely. And Lithuania was cool, and that's why... People wanted to live in Lithuania. It's, it, it was, you know, it was the, uh, it bordered with the West. Right. It bordered with Poland. Even Poland was considered to be, you know, it was outside of the Soviet Union, so right. it was behind the curtain. Right. Never mind that they had their own curtain, but it was behind the Iron Curtain. Um, so being closer to the West allowed for more freedom. We definitely knew there were gay people, um, not early, early on, but later, mm-hmm. like teenage years. Um, you know, we knew a couple, and it was fine. It was always like, oh, yeah, this singer is gay. You know, she's lesbian, and, you know. Right. It was never, it was never any. It wasn't a major. Well, not in my, not in my mind, not in my actually in my family's minds it was like okay well this person is that right so throughout your throughout your years it was more throughout your like teenage years there was sex definitely there was you know exploring curiosity um was there much love in that or was it just yeah of course i mean you'd i think i i i think i was in love with a boy that uh i first had sex with uh, the intercourse was terrible, and I that was that was the end of that love. And then, um, and then I had a boyfriend when I was seventeen, and we were together for a few years until uh, his family left to go to Israel, and then my family went and came to the U.S. So we were that was definitely the real deal. 
Really? Like, did you ever shed tears? Like, oh, break, break yeah. Down? Like, jeez. I mean, I I went to. So his family was leaving to go to Israel, and um, we were staying behind. Um, I went. They they were leaving from Moscow, so I went with them. Um, to Moscow, and then I mean. <laughs> We didn't talk a lot. He's not a talker still. Um, we're friends, but, you know, he's still not a talker. I mean, unless, you know, there's a lot of vodka involved. Uh, <coughs> but um, we were walking around that airport, counting minutes till they leave, and both of us were crying. I mean, it was... It was a scene. My sister's boyfriend came with me just so that he could put me on the plane and uh, bring me home so I wouldn't go by myself. Right. I mean, it was it was a big deal. I mean, it was definitely a big deal. I mean, I'm sure I wrote letters every day. Wow. So you were a softie. You had softies. You were a I am softie. still a softie. What do you think happens when you and I fight? <laughs> what? Like, like, you don't act like you don't know me. Jeez. Well, just the rest of the world may not realize you're a softie yet. You know, okay. Like, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of softy between episode one and episode seven. There's definitely a soft, soft center in there. A little hip. So, tell me about like your first sexual experience, like losing your virginity. Like how, was, did, how did that episode sucked. play out? It sucked. It was like a surgery. It was really like so. It was with this Jewish boy who was a year ahead of me. So he was in my sister's class and. Um, it was, you know, it was building up. And, I mean, those boys were, like, they're all so highly intellectual. Like, so he read his mom's, his mom's a doctor, was a doctor. He read, you know, like there was, there were no guides. There was no porn to watch. There was nothing. There right. was no, all of that was illegal. And the only source of uh, information were medical encyclopedias. Where oh. literally, like, you look at how things work and then, intercourse is described and that's where you learn so that's where he learned and he didn't have, that was the first time i think pretty sure for both of us it was pretty surgical it was like work there was nothing cool about it <laughs> it felt terrible <laughs> it felt so bad that i uh left we did not hang out after that it was luckily the end of the school year so we didn't have to hang out uh, there was and, no, there's no round two. Well, so the funny thing is that uh, he and I are friends too. Right. But uh, we hadn't talked in a long, long time. And then uh, he lives in Israel now. And I went to Israel like, when Karina was in seventh grade. Right. So that was five years ago. Yeah. And we were hanging out and talking. And he had forgotten that I lost my virginity to him. Oh. So I told him, I mean, or I, I reminded him, or we were having a conversation, right. and he totally didn't remember, and then he was too embarrassed to tell me that to my face. And then, so when we, you know, like, he, I, I, we, after the lunch or whatever we had, then he texted me, and he's like, dude, I'm so sorry. I feel like an ass. I totally did not remember. I'm like, that's cool. I totally doesn't, it does not even matter to me. Right. But then he reminded me that he and I hooked up one more time. Right. 
when you remember? I was 18, I right. think, or 17. I had zero recollection. I wow. still have zero <laughs> recollection of that. And I'm like, cool, that makes us even, you know? Right. So, uh, no, it was not a cool experience. It sucked. And I didn't have sex until um, I was almost 18. So the first time was how old? First time I was almost 15. Right. And then it took three years. And I mean, of a lot of like heavy petting and things, but none, no intercourse. And then when I got together with uh, my boyfriend, then we were hmm, like mid-year, first year at the university. It took him, God, poor dude. It took him full three months to get me to actually have sex, like of everyday hard work on his part. <laughs> like every God bless his patience. Like seriously, he never ever pushed me. Like he had experience. Right. Luckily, he had experience with an older woman. Right. So he uh, got a little, some training. Right. So he actually knew what he was doing. Right. Or so you know more so than I did. Right. And he was really really super patient with me. Oh, that's good. So. At that time, were you guys monogamous or? Yeah, yeah, I was always, so I was monogamous with him until he left. Right. He was not monogamous, apparently. Right. Uh, but that didn't bother me. Um, there was a time during the time we dated, we were very, like, we were super duper close, probably. It was more than, like, two and a half years, I would say. And during that time, uh, my sister and my mom and I went and visited my family in Israel. We were gone for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, we came back, my sister's boyfriend at the time invited me out, made this whole big deal out of it. So just he and I go out, we're having dinner, and he goes, So, while you were away, blah bitty blah was seeing blah bitty blah. And I'm like, Dude, I, you know, like, you don't like don't tell me that stuff why are you even telling me this like it's all good i'm back he's happy i'm back i'm happy i'm back nothing has changed i don't want to know what do you think i'm gonna go and make a big deal out of it so i never even told my boyfriend ever right i don't think so there wasn't much jealousy for you how did how did you end up like that i mean most people are very sensitive and jealous and you know, that type of stuff would be devastating. Like, why wasn't the... Because I literally was told that I'm the best person, like, the best child. Like, I was raised with this uh, feeling of I'm just the best there is. I mean, I used to doodle when I doodled. I used to write, uh, Yula is the best kid in the world, or Yula is the best child in the world. Like that was my doodling in my in my notebooks. Right. So how do you say that in Russian? Yulinka lutshi ribonak miri. Yeah, with that level of enthusiasm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't enthusiastic about it. It was just a matter it was of fact. A fact. I mean, that was a fact. Right. It really was. So I guess with that with that level of conscious positive programming, that if someone was doing something outside of your relationship, it was just they were wasting their time or it just didn't it had no effect on you or how did that translate I to I do not remember being jealous at all until uh the times when uh when I got into relationships here. 
Oh, when you got to the U.S. When yeah. Babylon yeah, contaminated Babylon. you. With well, <laughs> no. What happened was like the level of self-esteem went down. Right, right. Um, let's see. Um, you, so yeah, there's no jealousy. There's none of that. Was there any like negative sexual experiences? There was no rape or no type of... Well, funny you ask. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird one that would have been... Uh, considered the rape, and I guess it. But I went back for more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started taking these massage classes from this dude, and I mean, if you tell anyone here, it's insane, you know. So well, you go oh, to sounds like a porn, but go, yeah. it it totally was like it totally <laughs> was. It was like I'm sure it was some some something had to do with that, right? But um, so you go into this apartment the dude's by himself and um i think it was a combination of like i think it was massage therapy for me and then i decided that i wanted to take classes from him but um that's one time definitely where i was on my stomach and uh i'm pretty sure like i didn't have anything on and like he was talking to me I mean it was not the first time that I saw him but it was definitely like he knew what he was doing so right. it was like gradual right right you know so you establish the rapport like he knew my story it was right after my boyfriend had got left so right I wasn't seeing anyone and you know and he's like well what are you doing for sex and you know how does that work and blah 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 and you know being a massage therapist like right knows exactly how to touch to where you feel it and then uh and that was kind of cool until you know it went too far right and then someone my stomach and then they feel that oh like his (laughs) (laughs) he's trying to actually go inside right so i got up and got dressed and left right and then um I'm pretty sure two weeks later it was back and we actually were having sex. Right. So what happened? I was like, oh, well, I was not, I didn't, I wasn't seeing anyone. Right. I was 20. I was extremely highly sexual. Right. And I'm like, oh, I, why wouldn't I have sex with him? Right. So you were more just shocked the first time. Right. The first time I was like like repulsive. Right. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Right. Like, how are you going to not even ask me? Right. But, I thought you said people don't ask anyways. They kind of just... Well, you kind of still have <laughs> something, you, you know. Like, give me a head nod right. or a thumbs up or something. Like, right. You know. Like, I mean, you know, we were having conversations. It was about, like, you know, oh, you don't have a boyfriend. And right. You know, I mean, I didn't just go and have sex with, like, anyone. Right. There had to be some... Right. Right. So it wasn't like he, you, were, you were turned off by him or felt... No, we ended up, like... Probably like it was actually, you know, he's he was older. He knew exactly what he was doing. So right. when I ended up going back and knowing that I would actually have sex, it ended up really being cool. Right. And so was that was that around the era you started feeling older men? Were you old an older man then? Like is that he was naturally... probably the first guy. Yeah. No, my boyfriend's the same. Was the same age that I was. Right. Uh, although the. The dude that who I lost virginity to was older, so to speak, a whole year ahead in school. Right. 
All right. Were there any like traumas or, you know, ideals while you were still on that side of the, the continent, you know, the ocean? We'll say, we'll say this side of the ocean, but, you know, while you were still over there, was there any traumas or anything that like really stuck with you that you think um, shaped who you were? I mean, obviously the I am the best kid ever was a big part of that. So it's like a, a kind of a positive thing for the most part. Um, but were there any negative traumas that shaped yeah, you the, how you interacted? Yeah, the, the trauma of living in a, in a not belonging. Yeah, not speaking the language and not belonging is huge. Like the awkwardness of it. That right. the, the not wanting to open your mouth. Right. Because you know that you do not sound like them. And, you know, it's it's pretty big. Right. So that's interesting. Like, how did you deal with the like the dichotomy of, on one hand, being told you're the greatest kid ever and feeling like you were to where you were above all this, but yet being really deeply affected by not being welcome and not fitting in? Like, I don't somehow. I mean, I mostly lived in my bubble. So you stay right. away. Like, you literally learn how to navigate without speaking to people. Right. You know, you only speak to people that you know. So is that where, like, the resting face came from? Cause, like, how oh, cats, yeah. Cats well, the resting face is, like, my resting face is exactly you go behind the curtain, and that's everyone's resting face. Right. So it, it was, like, a the Russian version of the New York state of mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot of, you know, life was difficult. There was not a lot to be happy about. You know, it was not when you have to stand in line and be rationed uh, eggs and and butter and sugar and you don't know if you'll have you know if this week is the week you don't have hot water or you don't have any water like it becomes right. you know like it, it's hard work there's not a lot to smile about right so before we in this half we're going to a break um, what was your most happiest memories Living in Lithuania. Mm. Happiest. I think just just being like at home and being with friends, being with when I ended up within teenage years, having a good, happy group of of friends. And when, you know, when I was finally dating at like 18, 17, 18, 19, were super cool. Like that was, that was cool. We had a lot of freedom. Um, money was never an issue. And we did a lot of cool stuff and we had a bunch of friends and we just were happy, go lucky teenagers. Right. Did you laugh a lot? Oh, yeah, I'm sure we laughed a lot. I mean, there was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of dancing, a lot of dancing. Right. That was really cool. Uh, luckily, so my boyfriend loved to dance. We would go out. I think we went out every weekend. We went dancing. It was really cool. That's cool. How did alcohol play a role in that, in that era of your life? Um, I drank socially. I drank probably less than a lot of people, but I definitely drank. I could hold my own. Um, I did not have any times, the times when I would get, I, I think that the few times that I got over limit were all here already. Right. I don't think I got over limit back there. Um, but I didn't like the over drinking. 
Right. Like before I got together with my boyfriend, like he could definitely over drink. And that was like, I remember one time we were all like out, being out there was probably at someone's place, you know, uh, for some holiday or something. And everyone's drinking. And then my sister ended up having to like take, I think, like put him in the shower or something because it was definitely not a good scene. Right. So, but it was common, you know, that's what, that's what we did. Right. Okay, cool. So. Why don't you say in Russian, uh, we're going to take, this is the Black Russian podcast. We're going to take a break. We'll come back we'll, to the Coming to America oh, episode. <laughs> I mean, All episode, right. just ch- part of the episode. Sorry. <laughs> okay, the uh, Black Russian podcast. We start the first half of the episode. After that, the episode starts to America. The Black Russian Podcast, Episode 7, The Russian Origin Story. Dear, why, what's going on? If you're hearing this right now, I'm probably long gone. On one of many ventures across lands, gaining more fans, fulfilling business plans. You know what I'm here to do, but still close to you like I'm supposed to do. You know the drill in many ways. We build skillful in the craft to maintain ties and bonds. We're so strong beyond eyes. The days of our lives, days as his wife is coming to a close. I know the hardest part is right here, right now. In case you don't know, you at the end of the tunnel. And the lines that I write, all the guided light in your eyes so bright. Your insight shining as it does over me whether here or overseas so shine on yeah we hooked up and it was cool tell you why cause that's that's when I met my soul never look back with you that's when I met my soul I hope when you think about me you think yo that's when I met my soul love the connection F and me that's when I met my soul You will always be an angel in my eyes, warm as the sunrise, such a pleasant surprise. We're gaining momentum, yep, we're on a roll. Rhymes of the hidden scroll with you, I found my soul. Worth more than gold, all love breaks the mold. Sets us free, spread your wings and check your wingspan. Go to the edge of the cliff, take a leap of faith, become the butterfly you've always dreamt you'd be. Always meant to be this way, say it over and over, this life is here to stay. Rebuild it all way, on them knees I pray, the most high replenishes, showering with Gifts, granting our wishes, let's set the standard for our seeds to follow. Never live the life that's shallow and hollow. Make it rich with depth and as open as the ocean achieve and all our goals. You know what year that song was? What year was that? I ventured to say it was two thousand and three. Really? Yep. I was thinking like eighty seven, eighty eight. Uh, it's the Black Russian Podcast, episode seven, the Russian episode, origins, her story. So now we are coming to America. Doo, 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 doo. How old were you when you guys came to America? And what prompted you guys to come to America? I was 20 years old. My dad had a goal to come to America always. And in 1990, when the wall came down, Lithuania declared independence and uh, that was that the uh, 
the curtain dropped. We were allowed to travel out and leave the country. Before then, it was uh, pretty impossible to do that. So uh, as soon as it became practical, my dad managed to... Um, he created a joint venture with his friends in San Francisco. So while living in Lithuania, he started the business, and then they managed to get business visas for uh, dad and our entire family, including grandma. So we all came in September of 91. Wow, what was that like? Going from not being able to travel to just coming to America? To... Well, I had traveled to Israel and Germany prior to, and Hungary. So I had seen some of what it's like, Israel being the most Western country that I had gone to, and uh, I guess spent the most time there. Uh, but it was uh, clearly moving and visiting are two different things. Right. And uh, it was easier because we were moving. It was the best case scenario. Uh, everybody, all of my friends, uh, most people that we knew were either in the process of moving or already left. And most people uh, had it a lot harder than my family. Like we probably had it uh, the easiest of all the people that I know. Right. Um, we did not go to Israel. Uh, we came straight to San Francisco. We knew where we were going. We knew uh, where the income was going to come from. We were never on uh, welfare. We spoke English. I mean, you know, there was income. So it was it was the easiest of all that I know my friends to have gone through were you excited was everybody excited were they scared yeah i was excited it's a mix you know right. it's a mix of being excited a mix of being like apprehensive a mix of curious a mix of scared it's the unknown it's the big unknown right what was your perception of america before you came that it was cool that's where you want to be and out of, uh, you know, everywhere in America, like my friends would move to, I don't know, Cleveland or, you know. <laughs> so wasn't have as much money. They're like, oh, you go. Well, you, the normal people would right. go where, you know, normally someone would sponsor them. Right. Like usually either a family member or a Jewish organization. And, you know, if you happen to have family that lives in Ohio, that's where you go. Right. No, you know. no shots fired at Ohio. We got folks in Ohio. No, big no. Up I mean, big I, up I quote big up Columbus. <laughs> I quote Cleveland is because literally, I mean, I am friends with someone who moved first to Cleveland and then ended up in San Francisco. That actually helped our family move to San Francisco, and I, I hear stories of Cleveland from him, and it was, it was like it's quite different to be an immigrant, right? Uh, in I think they moved in the uh, late 70s, I think, uh, in Cleveland versus San Francisco right. or New York. Uh, so I think that our, technically our move was the easiest. Right. So what were some of the advantages of not being from here when you moved here? Well, 
you assume that your level of intelligence is much higher than most people here. Right. That's just an assumption. Like that's just a given. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure that's BS. I'm sure as a mass, you know, our education was a lot better. Uh, just like the level of education that we received, uh, and uh, the depth of you know, reading and exposure to different cultures and knowledge and history was a lot deeper mm-hmm. as a mass. Again, I'm sure there are people here that know a lot more than I do, but on average, as a graduate of an, like, you know, high school, you knew like with our education, you know, a lot better than people here and you can, you're much more uh, like uh, you're able to think better we were taught to think wide we were taught to connect dots and that I think is the most infuriating thing about uh, uh, being exposed to the uh, mass education and uh, the results of mass education here through you know people that I've met in college people that I've met in a different uh the workplaces and otherwise is the inability to connect dots and right. to think wide. That's infuriating. Right. So that's so okay, what were some of the disadvantages? There's ambush again. DJ Ambush providing the instrumentals a slap for this one. Thank you. What were some of the disadvantages? Like, well the language, the lack of cultural knowledge, uh the ha- lack of habits, you know, the being inhibited, those are definite disadvantages. What do you mean being inhibited? Well, uh, the level of expressing yourself is very different. Um, I'm even, you know, like I've lived here now for 22, 26 years. Right. So more than half of my life has been is spent here. Uh, but it's only when I look at the things that Karina does and the things that Deja does and the things that, uh, and how they go about doing it is when I realize how inhibited I still am. It's the ability or that, that uh, natural uh, feeling of no boundaries to what you can do is huge right i mean i have arrogance because of how i was raised but there were always very tight boundaries as to how life was expected to go and what you can and cannot do you know you can navigate within the known boundaries right uh and i think i've learned to do that very well but what i never had was this hey this is your life Anything is possible. Whatever you want to do, if you want to do that, you go and do that. You know, to me, seeing Karina uh, decide to get up and go on the walk by herself, never in thinking that, you know, my mom would never do that. Or, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's not something that you do. Or wanting, deciding that hey, I want to do this in my life and then building a pathway and following it 
or seeing what Deja definitely has no limits to what she knows she can do. It's just a matter of getting there. Like that's, that's, you know, being raised without that, that's a disadvantage. Right. And for those of you guys that don't know, Deja is our youngest. She's nine. She is the black Russian the podcast came from. And Karina <laughs> is our oldest. She's 18. And uh, so that if you hear those names, Deja, Karina, or Aaron, our 15 year old, then just so you know, reference who she's talking about. Right, right. She's very I off. feel like I'm talking to friends and they all know. Yeah, most of them do know. Yeah. There's some new listeners, though, that may not know. Yeah, of course. It's nice. Thank you, new listeners who don't know who our kids' names are or what our kids' names are or that I speak or, funny sometimes. <laughs> or that we have kids. Or that we have kids. Um, so you got here, you ended up going to Mills College. Mm-hmm. in Oakland right so the story went uh, we got here uh, I had uh, I had gone to Vilnius University for two years I was studying applied math which was going to prepare me to be a computer programmer and uh, two years in Lithuania was basically 100% math so four semesters of calculus, all kinds of algebra, geometry, uh, whatever else imaginable in math world. And um, when we moved here, it's, it literally my sister and I got on board and went to Berkeley, and went to UC, went to Cal, went to the admissions office, talked to them, and they were like, yeah, we don't... We will not take you guys. And somehow we assumed that we could just transfer it to Cal. Mm. But that didn't happen. And then I guess my dad started, you know, using his normal techniques and found someone who introduced him to the then president at Mills. She was this really cool black lady, Sharon Jones. And uh, we went and met with her, and uh, I'm sure there was not a lot of effort. I mean, with Mills, it's pretty much you have credits to transfer. You know, I had my math. They transferred all of it. Uh, My dad paid cash, and, (laughs) you know, it was... So we went to Mills. The rest is history. So so what was your your thoughts and perceptions on different cultures and races here? Because it was San Francisco was always... Well, back then it was probably even more diverse than it is now, yeah? Yeah. Well, I always... Um, so I never had any uh, preconceived notions about different races other than uh, I knew that black was beautiful. And that was just visually. Uh Otherwise, I literally somehow did not have concerns or uh, fears that were around races. No major prejudices or fears or... No, I ended up, uh, so I ended up meeting uh, this guy at the gym and he was a trainer and he's black. I ended up dating him for uh, (laughs) quite some time off and on and with all kinds of drama, but uh, when my mom found out, she literally took to bed, and <laughs> I want to say it was ninety two, ninety three. Right. 
Yeah, I must have met you in 94, 95. 95, 96. 95, 96. So, yeah, so I probably, so it was probably 94. So she took to bed and she literally told me that uh, they did not bring us to America for us to date black men. Like, that was literally what she said. Right. To which I said it was bullshit. And uh, race does not matter. And why, how could she, an educated person, tell me that just because someone's skin is brown, that means that they're somehow worse? And I proceeded to date him for quite some, quite like many years. Obviously, he was not welcome in in the house uh, for a while. I mean, now of course everyone's friends, and right. and he's trained my mom and. She uh, is quite grateful that uh, she got into working out and learned uh, basics that keep her functional till now. So you know, but but the first reaction, I mean, I mean, I I I had um, I've gotten into very uh, open, loud arguments with. Uh, I'm ashamed to say was my sister's first husband uh, at my parents' house at a dinner table where I screamed at him for being a racist. Wow. And I don't scream. Like, I don't get into arguments like that. But the race thing was always because it's so strong in the Russians and it never made any sense to me. It was just insanely infuriating to me. Insanely infuriating. Right. So did you know you had an affinity or a high appreciation for black men before you came? Or no, was it like a I discovery of once just this is the person you just happened to Yeah, I literally with happened then... to I mean it was literally like like a classic scene, you know, in the movies. Like I I uh was going to the JCC to work out and he was the trainer there and one day I wore my red tights and a black <laughs> one piece, whatever, whatever. And, right. you know, he did a double take and then... They, we like booty. Right. We ended up going out and, you know, I mean, I did not seek that out. But once, I mean, once we started having sex, there was no going back, I guess. Right. You do have an appreciation for those contours and curves and... And things so um but yeah that, that's fascinating how that just happened to happen that way and then once i mean it wasn't like you know you did go back so it wasn't like the whole right, complete right, thing right. but it just kind of added to well yeah but then for... i i i i understood through that relationship that i literally do not understand how and why i would say no to dating someone just because they were brown right right like that made zero sense to me and it made I'm not a confrontational person. It's very hard for me to have a conflict with my family. Right. But, like, I never even gave them a chance to uh, force any opinion on me with that at all. Right. What was was there any, like, difficulties in dating somebody who is com- from a completely different race background, upbringing? Oh, yeah, time? plenty. Yeah. What yeah. were some of the things that you encountered? Well, I think, and I don't know because he was the first 
guy that I actually had a relationship with here. Right. I don't know how much of it is cultural difference because it's American versus non-American. Right. And then black is added. Right. So right. I don't, I can't tell how much of it is right. black American versus black just American. American. Right. Well, and then, of course, personal the issues. Right. You so well, what's an obvious one that you had to deal with besides your parents being like, you can't, you know, your mom being like, no. Um, well, the obvious was, uh, I understood that, um, uh, I think through that relationship that my level of friendship and care for people is a lot higher than, uh, anyone expects or most people expect when they date. Right. Uh, we ended up getting super close when like we were dating it wasn't anything you know it wasn't going i had no plans on it going anywhere deep or anything like that or i had no idea where it was gonna go and then um he ended up uh tearing a uh everything in his knee playing basketball and then out of the blue like we probably went out on literally three four five four dates i don't even know uh, and then he calls me from the hospital and asks me if I could pick him up. And then, of course, I go and pick him up. And, of course, I help with whatever needs to be helped at, at home. And then all of a sudden, it dawns on me, like, wait, how am I the one that he calls for help? When, right. Like, isn't him one, like, living here and, like, you know, having all these friends and people, like, what happened to these people? And I was able, like, I actually witnessed this whole kind of people falling off very fast, and there was right. no one to help. And I stuck around and helped beyond any reason and uh, all of that. And, like, we, we uh, became really super close through that. But I was, uh, like, it was very clear to me that there was no one else around. And right. that was shocking to me. There was no family. There was no friends. There was, wow. uh, and I'm sure it's not fully normal, but I felt like it's um, more common, more common than say. not. Right. So in that in that relationship, um, it wasn't. There was no discussion about what type of relationship or monogamous, no, non-monogamous. I or, was actually. Uh, I was super into into him, like it was physically, it was super, I was super into him. And then he was a player, so, and I, it was difficult for me, like, and then he wouldn't talk about it, and it lied to me, and like, that was difficult. And that, that part sucked a lot. The dishonesty, or just the... Yeah, the dishonesty, the uh, not being able to talk, like, you know, he would shut off and and get upset at me, and 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 then uh, we like we played this you know push pull game for years, and it was like it was not cool. Right? Did you find your desire for communication grow when you came to America and you started dating like this person? Because you're saying before you didn't really talk too much about details about relationships. Right? Because it was kind of it was simple before it was. Uh, I think that before, so my first relationship with with the boy in in Lithuania, 
we would have gotten married if right. if we didn't physically go separate ways. Right. You know, even after we went separate ways, we still maintained a long distance relationship, and he managed to ask me to marry him quite a few times. Um, but it was simple in that way. Like there was a track, you know, this is where it's going, and then that we that's how it goes here it was like oh what is this i don't know i've never dated with no goal you know where is this going and why is it going sideways and why is this person not communicating at all like this is weird like i'm getting conflicted energy right like, i'm getting the push energy and then as soon as i go and do something else and maybe start hanging out with somebody else i get this extreme pool right so it was a just it was, yeah it was much more complex so i guess it inspired um, a desire to understand or to communicate i learned from that relationship i learned how much how 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 much it sucks to be the person that's trying to uh knock on the door that is closed right like and that sucks and then how much it is to be like how how it it sucks to be lied to and then find that out and uh there's nothing cool about that right so what when you were dealing with that and you would go to deal with other guys or whatever did you lie to him too or you just tell him straight out or i didn't lie to him no him i didn't lie to right he knew who that i was dating somebody else and and like you know he went through a series of heartbreaks because of that but i never lied to him i would lie to the other people about also maybe seeing him right uh while i was dating them uh but you know that's why was that? Why would you be truthful to him and be lied to the others? Because I ended up, so I ended up dating this way older dude who was uh, now thinking back. I'm like he he was you know he was married himself, so he like he had no uh, no place in like he he had no business telling me you know what I could and could not do, but he tried to like very much so. Right. Um, and uh, obviously, like he he was Russian, and he was threatened by uh, like physically by uh, the black dude, and he really did not want me seeing him. So just to avoid that conflict, I wouldn't tell him that I was seeing him. Right. But then he ended up uh, following me and fucking seeing that I was coming out of the dude's house and there was a scene and I'm like, dude, what the hell? You're married. Like, you know, that was the end of that relationship. And like, you know, uh, we're still friends, but we're not. That that was that. Right. That was that. So it would be interesting to have this conversation with him now. Actually probably should. Yeah. We'll get him and the other, the black guy on (laughs) this conversation. (laughs) Well, you know, the black dude can teach us something or two about open relationships now, but right, yeah, he's, that... he's gone a long, he's come a long way too. I mean, he knows that the whole lying thing and stuff that was not cool. We've talked about it, yeah. and he's pretty open about things now, so that's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's a difference a day makes. Yep. So in that, in that, those those early years of moving here, and dating, you know, Americans and Russians and blacks and stuff like that. 
Um, did I guess you discovered there is just more dynamics that you have to factor in for sure with here. Than yeah, and then there. I was also living in my parents' house, so there was the old 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 world pool too, and like it didn't occur to me that hey, I don't have to live at their house. Right. But that was a given. And it was so convenient and it was so comfortable and they paid for everything. I didn't have to pay for anything. I had credit cards they paid for. So it was basically like the the golden cage. Right. So, but, you know, I couldn't tell them where I was staying or sleeping over or like, it was, I always had to invent a story. Right. What kind of stories did you invent when you're... It was always a girlfriend I was going out with. It was always like, you know, I always had like a girlfriend that they knew that... That would cover for you. Yeah, I'm staying over at your house or whatever, you know. I mean, my sister and I covered for each other when we were in Lithuania all the time. We would literally like meet up in the morning, you know, to take a cab together. Right. Yeah, to, to go home together. But other than that, like, it was such a given that you lie to your parents always. I mean, my mom freaked the hell out when I was 25 and finally I told her that I was staying at a guy's house. Right. I was 25. Right. And it was probably still a big deal. I'm assuming. Of course. I mean, she did everything in her power to ruin that relationship. <laughs> right. So, okay. So you make it through Mills. You date, you got these date situations, and are you kind of getting situated in America? You feel a little more comfortable. English getting better. Yeah, I got comfortable when I was at Mills, and my economics professor asked me to be a TA in her class, and I was like, the first question out of, out of my mouth was like, "Well, what about my English?" And she's like, "What about your English?" I'm like, "Oh, she thinks it's cool." Right. So I better do it, and I did it, and it gave me more confidence, and it uh, it got better from there. I mean, people always made fun of me, but you know, <laughs> John made fun of my. I mean, he said something once, and he made fun of me once. I actually got upset, made him pull over. Uh-oh. I was really upset. He was like, "I didn't mean it that way." <laughs> yep. So, did you know? How did your self esteem? Was your self-esteem affected at all when you came to America? Yeah, yeah definitely. It, it went down. It was scary. It was, you know, like speaking was weird and uh, making friends was weird. I mean, you and I became friends and I'm sure I was telling you how it's ridiculous. People are stupid and, you know, uh, I don't understand these relationships. They're shallow. That, what, right. is, what do you mean? Like even with you, I'm like, what do you mean you have to? 5,000 friends. They're not friends. Right. Friends are people you can rely on. Friends are people that's going to come and help you when you need help. They're not friends that, you know, you acquire through right. social media or you know their name. That's not friendship. Right. So that's, that was the big deal. Right. So, so building the actual real friendships, that was a big deal. Right. So at what point did your self-esteem go back up to the levels it was when you were a kid? Now. I'm now, now, this year, I'm learning how to... Like, well, that's the real self-esteem. So back No, the real, like, the... Well, the ego, like, hockey, because, you know, when, so, you know, you're raised this way, like, the supreme being, goddess, woman, better than everything, and then you come here, and that takes a hit, because language barriers and stuff like that, but then it bounces back to where you have this, like, your level of self-esteem and ego went back up. 
Not the real stuff we're talking about per se now, but yeah. Like, well, I think that the relationship with John helped a lot because he held me to such high regard. Like I could, I it, like I walked on water with him. Right. Um, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Well, they don't know who John is yet, so <laughs> so we'll go. All right. So you're dating these you're dating these guys, and then um, you know, so your sex life here was good. It wasn't. You know, yeah, no, was, it was awesome. It was bright. That was a bright spot. I'm assuming yeah, that was like, yeah, the it was awesome. Whole new world, sparks, yeah. colorful, yeah, it was fireworks. Like, it was really, really <laughs> cool. No, that 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 whole part was really super awesome. All right, was it? Did the diversity help, or did the what was what was what were some cool attributes to what um, really made it different, or made it better, or made well, it more enhanced? It, I think that my relationship with the block trainer was super amazing because he's super amazing in bed. Right. And uh, that was that was super really cool. Right. I mean that made me feel um, a lot more sure of myself. A lot like I felt things that I don't think I've ever felt before. Right. Like it was a totally different level of being made love to completely like nothing i'd ever experienced before so that was that was a whole new level right and so was that was it so was the whole experience of sex and your sex life in america was primarily based upon this person because you know this person yeah. was that great then mm -hmm. what happened to the other people you were seeing around that time or during that time was it just like drop off dramatic drop off it was, was interesting ever... yeah he was always like like the technically like having sex level like right. he like i don't think anyone uh went above that it was like you know when when um so towards the end i think of me dating him then i meet this lithuanian guy and he's really super cool and he and i are super into it uh, and really super like each other, and it's a whole different connection because now culturally he understands where I'm from, and you know we're in the, in the states, and you know I have all these toys, like I have my car, we have money, like we can do things, and it's just a lot of fun. But then sexually, it's like he wouldn't let me go down on him. Right. Which... I'm like, what the hell are you like? What's wrong with you? And like, I tried a few times, and he's like, no. And I'm right. like, okay. But there was enough of other cool stuff with him where I guess that was, uh, that didn't kill it. Other things killed it. But you know, um, speaking of the sexual, you know, the going back to my trainer buddy was always like oh, okay well this is how it's supposed to be right right so how do you go from a situation where you go from like you know this this black king guy who's like this expert just turning you out in ways you can never even imagine and then going back to someone who wouldn't let you go down on them like that just well then like i use what i've learned and make them happy Right. And that's, you know, I love making people happy. Right. So what, how do you do that if you can't, like one of your like I don't specialties have, I don't was, need anyone to, I, I don't need anyone to make me, to help me make, help me come. So I don't, that's, you know, I can always take care of that. Right. But you couldn't go down on him. So what was like, how did you? Well, I, you know, I was also 25. There was, and he was 23. So, you know, there was a lot of other norm, like straight up intercourse. And, right. Right. 
So it was it was fun enough. I mean, it only lasted a couple of months. Right. If it lasted, you know, if it was to last longer, I'm sure it would have been it would have been a problem. Right. So did it did the fact that you were so in love with this person compensate with the sex? Like it made the was yeah, the sex then. was the sex better because there was more love involved? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So it yeah, was like, there was love. There was a lot that. You know, love, what do you call love? Like we met, we liked each other, we connected. Is this love? I don't know. I think love is something that develops over the years. Right. Uh, it was definitely a lot of attraction and a lot of actual like common ground because we came from the same background. Right. So, but but you connected with the black guy too, but it was physical. It was different. So it's purely physical. It was so, physical, and then I started helping him a lot, and then, you know, just to actually get through the period of time where he ended up losing his job and not having income and right. not being able to do certain things, and and then I ended up helping him with his business, and that's always like, that's always like a, right. a carrot for me if right. I'm it's able to do that. It's a deeper level of love. Yeah. It's like a so yeah. that love becomes more like it's it's a it's more of a caretaker, care and, companion yeah, versus yeah. like the. Lithuania was more like a love affair, yeah. like type love. So okay, so which which overall sex is better, the super heightened physical sex with just like skills galore, or like decent sex but like lots of love affair passion? Like, which which overall equates to? <sighs> well, long term, neither one would would live. <laughs> I mean, that's just the bottom line. Right. Uh, that you know the the super super skilled sex thing obviously fizzled out right for a reason because it kind of ran its course right you know and it's available to me now and i'm not it's not that's not something i want because right. i know there is nothing else there and the other one uh i assume would have had a problem uh, if we actually ended up being in a um, uh, longer term relationship, right, we would have been having problems right. because that one part of not letting me go down on him was a symptom of something else. Right. Like, where does that come from? Oh, it comes from the culture of shame. Right. Right. How? Why else would a guy not let me go down on him? Right. Because it's somehow it's a shameful taboo. Well, if if you're able to take that on, then I can't be with you because you have other taboos. And he ended up having, uh, you know, issues. like his parents basically told him he couldn't have a relationship with a Jewish girl. And he ended up saying to me that they told him to choose between them and me. And he chose them. And... I'm like, you did what? He's like, right. yeah, that's, that's what happened. And, and I said, oh, okay, well, good luck with that. But that's, you know. So. Right. So the, ultimately, the answer is, at it, some point, you need all of that right. for it to sustain. Because eventually, yep. the physical alone will not be enough. And eventually, the passion alone, without the sexual ability to... You know, to go to those heights would eventually run its course. Right, for sure. And that's, you know, that goes into why I know for a fact that it is uh, uh, not easy to find that connection that will last and provide, uh, you know, more than just a 
awesome hookup. Right, and that's one of your one of your biggest concerns and fears with with dating is that you get bored or you run its course, yeah. right? Yeah, that there's a limit, and then I see the end, and you know I lose interest, and and off I go. Right, and so did you find that happened a lot? It always happened. Right. Okay. So then, oh shit! Right after that, we met, right? We met in the middle. Right. We right met in the middle. In the middle. It, so, like you, we, you, we met. Uh, we were already friends when I was dating the Lithuanian guy. You, right, you I met him. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you and I met and were friends for a while, and then I met uh, John, who I ended up marrying, and having two kids with. Right. And so that dynamic was completely different than both totally of the dynamics, different. right? Because it yeah. wasn't so. So yeah, I mean, it's okay. So knowing what I what I know, what though they don't know yet, but this is the episode seven. If you're paying attention, check it, check it. Um, you know, so you're very sexually driven. You're 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 one of your strongest spiritual communications through through sex. And so going from like having such a heightened level of of sexual connection and communication with you know you know we'll call them Nubian no, <laughs> Nubian number one <laughs> um, the original man uh, and then going from that to Rolandis and then to John you know like how was that like how did that you know how did you marry all that together um well, John was, uh, we connected on, uh, on the, on a couple of different levels, you know, it was definitely, uh, intellectual, it was definitely spiritual, it was, uh, definitely physical, not at the level that, uh, like physical was not the first that hit right, right. on my side. On his side, you know, I think spiritual hit first and physical and then everything else. Um, so it was a good mix. It was good enough uh, to sustain my interest. He was 12 years older. He definitely was a mature adult. And, uh, you know, it was definitely a serious relationship. Right. Was the... So was it... Was it like a fiery heat or like a really strong calm? You know, what was the levels of desire versus, you know, did it play? Was there something that you were feeling that you were going through at that time that that resonated, that balance resonated more than maybe like the hot flame or the... Well, I think that it was like um, someone that fit and the, they, they he fit the next uh, stage of my life as I saw it. Right. And that stage was to create a relationship that was actually a sustainable relationship where I could live with someone and I could have kids with someone and feel secure and feel um, uh, feel like I'm building something and he was definitely that person right and like totally trustworthy and I, I you know I felt like uh, he had my back and we could build right so continue with with john i mean it's an important part of the story that most don't know so so well we ended up having karina and then we got married and then 
uh, somewhere in between there and then uh, I realized that he had a uh, drinking problem uh, but I also assumed that I could handle it and we could, you know, he was smart, I was smart, we could figure it out. I did not know about addiction. I, it was my first experience. I had no idea um, my cultural taboos or the way that my family works. Um, they were already upset at me for um, getting with him because he was older, because he already had a child. He was married at the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I did not follow their... Um, preset uh, script of how my life would go. Right. You know, if you listen to my parents, uh, my life should have gone, I should have become some professional, I don't know, obviously I didn't become a doctor, but I think it was my mom's dream somehow that I was going to. I don't know how that played into me being like taking math, but uh, I was going to be... Uh, you know, successful at something. I was going to marry a uh, well-to-do Russian person or Russian man, obviously right. not a <laughs> Russian woman. Uh, we would have kids. I would want for nothing. I would be taken care of the way that my dad always took care of me. And that was their fantasy. Right. Or plan for me. But, uh, you know, I... I am not confrontational. I am a uh, very easygoing person and was a very easy child until uh, I want to do something that they do not approve of. Right. And then I become a very difficult child. Right. Because, demon child. Yeah, because I don't, I, I don't give up what I want. I just go with it and then they don't like it. That's their problem. Right. So I, so I didn't know that they actually um, didn't approve of, of John and your no. relationship first. Because I didn't, but we were friends. And then um, I kind of felt hesitant about her jumping in, being so serious so fast, um, knowing that he was still in, this, in a married situation and she was talking about having kids with him. So knowing that she felt that strongly she did, and I respected that, that I told her that I wouldn't, um, you know, but bombard her or burden her with my disapproval and I disappeared and started so I started going to my music industry stuff and disappeared to I think it was Australia was that time right right yeah, when so. I finally understood that he had a problem I, I was five months pregnant with Karina and the only person I could think of because I couldn't call my family because they already were upset at me for being with him um, and that was the last thing that I would have done call them and tell them, oh, and by the way, he has this problem. I have no idea what to do because they would have told me to, you know, get out, whatever, whatever. Uh, I called you and you did not answer the phone. Yeah, I was out of the country. And never called me back. <laughs> and I kind of buried the whole thing and decided I was going to deal with it myself. And then we had Karina and then... I logically decided that uh, Karina needed another a sibling, and then we had Aaron, and then. Uh, but by then things were kind of going 
downhill because I could tell that that problem was not going to be resolved. Right. And did the problem, what, what effects did that problem have on your guys' relationship? Um, well, the way I see them now, back then what was frustrating to me was that uh, it made no sense to me that he could not stop drinking when he knew that I did not like that. Right. And, you know, when things do not make sense to me, then I started breaking things down. Like I started, it, it doesn't, if, if it doesn't make sense to me, I'll, uh, things will never be the same again. Right. And it started eroding that relationship. You know, it was, it was a slow process. Right. But it was definitely a process. Uh, respect level goes down, you know, when someone's drunk and has no, uh, you know, basically is not the same person, then I have no respect. And once you start losing respect for your partner, I mean, the whole thing, why even be there? Right. And so with that relationship, that was a traditional relationship, though. That wasn't, that was a very was, monogamous, yeah. Yeah. steady. Yeah. Right. Was there a thought process or did, did it wasn't even a... It was a Wasn't slight thought process at one, at one point on my end, but it was just, I was busy having kids, you right, know? I right. mean, I was pregnant half the time and breastfeeding the rest. I mean, literally, I mean, I... I when had, did that ever stop you being horny? That definitely, I mean, yeah, being horny, but getting, you know, pursuing a relationship, no, that's a right. totally different ball game. No, you, you don't, do, I, at least I don't do that. So I literally was pregnant with Karina. I had Karina. I was breastfeeding her till she was two and a half years old, at which point I got pregnant with Aaron. I mean, she stopped breastfeeding when only because I got pregnant with Aaron. Right. And Changed then, the whole formula. Right. And then I had him. And then right after I stopped breastfeeding him, you popped up and voila. Right. So that answers your whole question. Right. Okay. So, so <laughs> how monogamous was that? Right. It was well monogamous for most. But so so what happened? Let's talk about the you know the 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 final transition of the relationship. You know. Well, the big deal was for me to actually. Uh, uh, so when you and I got together, and I did not tell you, like, you you, you thought my marriage was happy, and I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of, you know, getting to me, but I didn't tell you the truth. And um, then uh, we, uh, we hung out once or twice, and then it quickly became like, oh, you know, that perhaps you wanted to have sex with me right or it went right. <laughs> however that dance went it wasn't long right well there was physic there was physical attraction um always yeah but you know luckily you know i guess luckily for us because it wasn't always uh, we didn't have sex a lot early early most of our early friendship um is that we had such a deeper friendship so that way through the time i know my core goal at that time was to try to figure out how to be a good friend to you, how to be of assistance to you, how to help you make you feel good and feel lifted. Um, sex through sex was was you know a desire, but it wasn't like the focal point because um, there was serious, there was more serious shit at hand. Clearly, I mean you know. Yeah, but I didn't tell you about that until after. Right, 
So, you know, I think the immediate thing was like, oh, you know, I think I told you that I'm kind of over being in this, you know, baby making stage. And, you know, it's uh, I would not mind doing something on the side. And you're like, well, I'm your safest bet. Right. So that safest bet turned out to be just fine and I didn't tell you you know I think I told you a month or two like I think we got together in like January and then you were leaving for Germany in March right and you were uh, you called me from the airport from SFO and I was upset and I told you what was happening and John actually was addicted and Right. I did not know how to deal with it and nothing was working and that's when I told you the truth and telling the truth after so many years was very relieving. Right. And uh, it was it was heavy. I was like, wow. Um yeah, so that year was was a pretty pretty crazy year. So how much so that was how much longer from that you guys separated? We separated about a year and a half after that. Right. It took us a while. It took us about a year. No, it took us about a year and a half after that to move out of my parents' house. Right. And then we started separating. So right. it took a while, but it also took a while for you and I to actually build the relationship because while I was dealing with my relationship at home, we were always also building on very like on on different levels right and but it was actually building right yeah i mean this is it was not coasting it wasn't just me being one of your uh you know the friends that you were with in right. and out it was actually like building building yeah and the, and the song you guys heard right before this part was actually a result of that if you listen to lyrics i mean it's pretty much us well i mean talking to her about you know how close we are and how you know she's going through this part of her life and it's not gonna last forever um and so on and so forth but little did i know that that not lasting forever meant with you know with john passing away um so how let's go this is going from like from us connecting to that situation and you know from that so well, I think that through our building, you know, uh, our building was based on me not wanting, not being happy with where I was. Uh, and uh, it was a complex situation. You know, we had the kids. We were living in my parents' house. Um, you were 27. uh you know, rapper making circles around the country, not someone that could come in and be the one to, you know, establish a life for me to where I could go and be financially independent. Right. So all of it this was complicated. Uh, but it was definitely important enough for me to continue to actually start building a relationship with you. And the relationship with you was built on our friendship, uh, then it was built on uh, our sexual connection, for sure, 
and it was built on my interest in helping you succeed in what you were doing. Right. And so all while we're building, there was a transition with John that was that led to the point of him passing away. So, I mean, you know, we should. I want you to speak upon that stuff because it's, it's a very it's, it's a serious thing. It's a heavy thing, um, and it plays a huge role in how we formed our family. You know, because as I as we got closer, as he was going through his struggles, I became closer with the kids and that process. So, what was that like for you going? From separating to him, basically going, getting to the point to where he ends up passing away due to his alcoholism or whatever. Well, separating was difficult. Um, the way that he uh, felt, he never wanted to separate. Uh, he actually uh, offered to me that if I wanted to be with you, he would be okay with that. He just didn't want to leave. Uh, he said that that would be fine, and but I was not happy with uh, him drinking, and I did not want to be around that. I didn't want the kids to be around that, so my thought process was that uh, we could separate and stay close and be friends, and the kids would uh, have full access to him. We never actually got a divorce. I never filed for a divorce. Um, that was not an intent at all um, but I just wanted to remove the drinking part from my life and the, from the kid's life and uh, unfortunately it was so painful to him to not be uh, living with us that um, within a year and a half of us separating he drank himself to death and that's um, that's rough because he was my best friend and um, you know it's something that you try to help and uh, like I clearly knew that uh, on one hand what I was doing to help was at the same time hurting him tremendously because it was me and you know he couldn't have me the way he wanted to have me and uh, that was hard but I never um, I never thought that I made the wrong decision. I knew that, um, you know, even now, like I think about it all the time and I think that with what I know now, if I knew then what I know now, what would I have done differently? And it's still very hard to, to, to see what I would have done differently and how I would have done it. Um, so although the result is what it is, uh, I think that uh, that just how life went. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, on my end, it was interesting because um, my my goal in into being a part of your life was to definitely to figure out ways to assist, to help, to help you rekindle your per your path and your purpose beyond being a mother and being you know John's best friend and wife. Um, and yeah, the way it went that way was, you know, wow. Um, and so we moved, you know, steadily from, you know, being close to me, being kind of a helper, assist with the kids, to being more of like the uncle, homie with the kids. Because what were they? Aaron was two and a half, three? Was he three-ish? Well, Aaron was one when you and I started hanging out. And then, um, so he was... 
three and a half when John died, and Karina was almost seven. Yeah. She was not quite seven. He died in August. She turned seven in October. Yep. Yeah. So you know, you know, during the time, it's it's a trip because like looking back, you would you would think like how insanely traumatic that would be for all of us um, especially you guys and Karina and you know um, and not to say that it wasn't but we seem to somehow navigate that space as if that was what we you know that's okay that's this is what we're dealt with and you know like I came in and I was you know ended up staying more with you and we just kind of became you know a couple um, with, you know, with, with communication of like, what does this mean? I mean, I know my concern was like, I didn't want you to go from one relationship to another because I felt that you had sacrificed so much of your individuality that I didn't want to be an imposition impeding on that. Yeah. But we were already in a relationship. And so, you know, what right, does that but, mean? But, but, and I was already a mom. I was already had a home. I already cooked dinner you know, it's not like right, but, I could but, have but dropped the, that part and gone dancing right, all the time. But we didn't talk about, I mean, what I was talking about was like the rest of your world beyond just me. And we didn't, you know, at the time. Yeah, but I, I told you I didn't want the rest of my no, world know, beyond but, me, beyond you. Here's the transgressive woman coming out. It was very clear early that you know, the relationship was growing and I was concerned because I had a different style of relationship. And since I didn't know that you had a, a alternative style at that point either, right. it wasn't said that I was like, you know, there was twofold. Like I wanted to make sure that, you know, you had space to, to live and, you know, live and be supported as a teammate and not be cold, you know, solely responsible for everything. But also, you know, I felt like I might be Edward Scissorhands because, uh, at that point in my time, I had already been realizing that I had to find a different way of loving and I was touring and, you know, the concept of monogamy and stuff was just far behind in my past. Um, you know, so we had we it's amazing that through the trauma that of the natural family and the John passing, we actually managed to figure out how to have some forms of conversations about even this, where most times that trauma enough would be enough to be like, okay, well, you know what? This is important, but that's just way important. I'll just put this on the back burner. No, that stuff, didn't happen. You know? I mean, our relationship and how we were build, building was actually uh, far more important than, than anything else. And that's just how it was. And I think that there is a reason for it. And it became um, the most important part of my life, your life, our kids' lives. That's what everything... Uh, is built around so he was right to have done it that way yeah and it's, it's, it's just interesting looking back at it like how we were able to you know deal with the transition of John passing and help the kids and support the kids and create this family structure that you know I wasn't even aware that I was ready to have <laughs> well I think that it's uh, so I have this ability to not freak freak out about things that most other people will freak out about. And that happens to be uh, any kind of material things, you know, any kind of uh, big drama things. Like, I just don't freak out about that. Right. It is something to deal with. I know for a fact that we're not going to... Uh, it, it's, it's a detail that's, that is going to be worked out. 
And it's either uh, I will find a way to work it out or it will work itself out. But freaking out about it is not going to help anything at all. Right. And that's, that's just, you know, I I guess it's part of my DNA. I don't I don't freak out about those things. And uh that's I think that that uh was one of the main reasons why we were able to continue building and go through a lot of very difficult things and help the kids transition and not let anyone uh become orphans or you know have feelings of being orphans or you know me have a feeling of being a widow at 30 or whatever old however old I was right you know it's it's something that my mom would have wanted me to do but I'm like it makes no sense just just descend into a life of grief yeah it makes no sense it never made any sense to me so you know what you do is you do what like you enjoy what you have and you build what's important and the rest is gonna work itself out yeah and um yeah that me so it's neat that's like we get all the way up to this place and this is kind of the area now where we're at in this podcast where episode one kind of begins i mean you know we talked about we talk about the whole dynamic of our relationship in the first and separate one so it's amazing like you were nervous but look you've already got we're almost two hours in wrapping up and it's you know i think we've you know, we've got a lot of content in here i think people will be really i wasn't pleased. nervous i didn't say i was nervous my control freak was freaking out i think you did say you're nervous in the earlier part mm-hmm. you'll, you'll hear it yeah um so you know thank you for sharing <laughs> I don't know how many interviews you've done like this, but um, None. I'm assuming the people that are hearing this will appreciate knowing your origin story. And, um, you know, we asked some questions from some people. And so <laughs> some of these we already answered, but I'm just going to ask you them anyways. Um, our buddy T wants to know, did you date any black dudes in Russia or Lithuania? <laughs> I'd never seen any black dudes in Lithuania, <laughs> like on, on TV, you uh-huh. know? All right, she dated him. So fa- did you ever fantasize about no. that on TV? It wasn't even part of it. Okay. No, I had no idea. All right. Um, he also asked, is explaining the current racial tension in the country to your children more difficult in a multiracial relationship? No, it's a lot, it's a lot easier. I think it's a lot easier because if I was in a all-white relationship, then I'd be telling them about how other people perceive race right and then i would it would have felt detached now i'm able to use examples and it's always like well if tion's driving at 75 you know he's going to get pulled over and you know it's you know right he's going to get a ticket if i'm driving 85 and i get pulled over and i'm polite i probably will not get a ticket so things like that to me it's easier to actually uh, because two of our kids are totally white and um, Deja is the one that's mixed um, it is to me it's it brings it closer to the uh, to reality right it's gravity that's yeah. um, and sister D she's her questions have already been answered but you know how old were you when you first had sex you said 12. No, no, 14. 15 and a half? 14. Right. Where have you always been a sexual being? Yes. 
beard, clearly. And so. the first time you remember masturbating was five. 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 And you know what? Because I remember it so vividly, and I have daughters. Oh, so were the, did the uh, that's not talk yes. about. But <laughs> the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. They're both very inquisitive, curious, powerful <laughs> women. Um, so, L Boogie, as you know, do you think you fell in love with me partially due to the fact that I refused to accept your stoicism? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there are a lot of reasons why I fell in love with you. And yes, one of them is that you refused to accept my stoicism or my fronting or my uh, I'm better than most or, you know, that you consistently break it down where there's nobody else that I would allow to even come close to that. Right. Well, that's what keeps it interesting. Right. Yeah. That I wrote that I, I've refused to let her ever get bored. Right, that's what it is. Yeah. Because you know that that's how I operate, that at some point I will get bored and you don't want me to get to that point. So it's like a challenge. Yeah, and it's naturally, the things that I do naturally prevent boredom from ever happening. So that's, that's another lucky part about our combination. Um, so when speaking to your close friends and family about marrying me, did you lose any of them due to something they said or inability to handle the relationship? Well, you got to understand that I did not have a lot of friends back then. Right. Uh, and no, uh, the hardest part was my family. Um, there were very difficult times there, but... Um, I never thought I would lose them because right. as as uh, I, and not close-minded, but as limited as my family can be in how we communicate, uh, we all know that no one's going anywhere. Right. That there's always a level of care that will surpass any disagreement on any level. Right. So, no, I did not lose anyone. Okay. And, you know, when people ask that don't know you, what is deja? What do you say to them? You know, I don't think I've ever had that question, ever. Yeah. I always call it a black Russian. I've never, I mean, I was never, I was never asked. Right. So, I, I just say, you know, if I describe deja, I say she's mixed. Right. And I say her father is black, and that's that. Right. And then the the record skips at these places who don't know you, but they just see you in your work clothes. Like, what? That was, right. I never right. guessed that. Well, the record, the best record skip is when uh, you come somewhere with me, and I introduce you as my husband, and then you can visually see, like, the, the, the wheels turning yeah. in their head. And they're trying to compute, and it does not compute at all. Right. Yeah, they're just like, all, they had a bet in their head, this perception of who you'd be married to. Oh, for sure. I mean, I was, you know, one of my most, like, I didn't have a lot of, uh, like, difficult or, or frustrating racial situations. But there was one where I was asked directly by someone who'd known me and who'd known you, and it was like, 
about me possibly becoming a CEO of my previous company and then this lady that was an old school Wall Street person, uh, Italian. She's like, well, you know, one of the challenges will be that you have to go to all these meetings, you know, in New York and stuff and, uh, you know, like events and things and you need to bring your husband. And I'm looking at her like, and? And I'm like clearly not understanding where that is going. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, well, well, you're going to have to bring tea on. And I'm like, yes. And like still not like trying to understand really, is she really going to go there? And she really did. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you mean? Like he puts on a suit and tie and puts his hair back and he goes like, what are you really saying to me that? this is not acceptable like that's insane right i mean that was the worst that i've ever heard right directly to me right. <laughs> like how you're gonna have to bring your husband like and what like, like what <laughs> what do for you those, mean for those of you guys who, who've been in the hip-hop and watched movies in the 80s there was a movie called breaking it was breaking to electric boogaloo where you had these street popping lockers from L.A., like this Latino dude and this black dude, and then they meet this, like, white dancer, like, you know, classically trained dancer aerobic, she's an Eastern type, and she's like, wow, you guys are great. You should come to my house for dinner or whatever, like, or the dinner party. <laughs> and, like, it's the same thing. Like, she invites, this is my friend Turbo, and they're just like, holy sh-. So it would be like that. would be pretty yeah. funny. Yeah, um, but I love those situations. I love it. Like yeah. you're more self-conscious about it than I am. Yeah. I, I, if I could, I would bring you everywhere. Right. Just to see that. Just a natural antagonist. Yep. I'm like, you know, sometimes it's to our mutual benefit if I'm not there. And like, you know, I learned how to. That there's a way we can play that to where it's to our benefit. Like if, if. Uh, I yeah. hate that. I cannot. I, I, my natural truth seeker wants to come out and fight and be like, no, you are coming with me. And if they don't like it, it's their problem, not mine. Right. And I'm like, there's a deeper goal here. <laughs> we want that wall. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, this is not where I want to have the revolution. Like I'm like, dude, yeah, I want to have a revolution. I'm like, go like, get that, I, go talk to that person, get that wall, and then we'll show up and paint that wall. No. But if I show up with you, they might be like, oh shit. But anywho, um, and so, brother Jay asked, how different did you raise your kids than how you were raised? Back behind the curtain. Um, well, my my knee jerk is to say 180 percent different. But uh, it's not. I mean, there's a lot of differences, but there's also a lot of uh, the core, I think, principles are um, close to how I was raised. Uh, the differences would be that uh, we talk to the kids. I talk to the kids about everything. I allow them to talk to me about everything. I encourage them to talk to me about everything. Right things that are scary to me, things that I don't approve of, things that are difficult. And um, I do my best to not blink and not uh, say, no, you cannot. And I do my best to be very respectful and understand that it's their life. We do not own them. We're here to support them and help them to be the best they can be. and that is not something that I had uh, growing up. Uh, 
I couldn't tell the truth. Like I felt that I could not tell the truth to my parents. In reality, I, who knows? Maybe I could. Right. But you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that was. Encouraged. It was not something that was encouraged, and uh, I never did. So that's very different. Uh, what is similar is that uh, they are growing up knowing for a fact that I will always be there for them in any uh, form, shape, capacity. Right. Uh, my dad. Uh, my parents both have always been here for me. Uh, my dad and I have become really close friends through helping each other a lot. And uh, I never doubt that they will be here for me. And our kids, I don't think they'll ever doubt that. Right. So in that, in that you know, and uh, in that way it's similar. And, you know, I consider myself spoiled. And uh, I've done... We do things for the kids that most other, you know, people, if you're trying not to spoil your kids, would say not to do. Right, right. But I just don't consider that being spoiled. Somehow they're still, they still know their boundaries. They still appreciate what they have. And right. they, they know. Yeah, and it's not all material. Like, there's a balance between material and cultural and, you know, core. Um, good human being-isms that we instill and accountability. Um you know, and, you know, earning, you know, being empowered by and by positive reinforcement and not scolding and shaming and trying to create space for them actually to be truthful, which is maybe some of our upbringings where we have a little harder time with that yep. because of the reactions we get from our parents. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's all the questions. Oh, what traditions did you grow up with that you kept intact? Mm. Bursh. <laughs> I food. don't I don't well food is important but I don't uh I don't cook a lot of traditional food or foods that I grew up with um I don't know we had more we kind of mixed all the traditions together Like I know, I know food for sure. Yeah, well, food for sure. You know, like Jewish holidays as much as we can. Right, being very close with the family. Uh, talking to my parents three, four, five times a day, uh, and that kind of transition to the kids naturally. Karina is away, and now she talks to me that much. Right. Uh, not because I demand it, but because we both want to stay in touch. Right. Um, so I think that's, you know, wanting to know, like, I, I have this thing about uh, if you travel somewhere, you get somewhere, you let me know. You still right. have a problem with that. Right, checking so that's in. So that's a difficult part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do, I do a good job at checking in yeah. and saying goodnight. I mean, yeah. I got better at it. Now I'm so good at it that you don't even wait for me to check in. You just fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Half yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. So we did good. You know, you did good. Round of applause. Well, I feel like it's, you know, what we did is kind of factual background. Mm -hmm. And then everything else comes out for all the other episodes. Well, yeah, this is the origin story. This is like the prequel. 
So right. this ends where the podcast series starts. Right. Right. So it's, that's why, you know, and there's, there's a, I mean, you know, there's so much more that will come out about who you are and how you think through this whole uh, podcast adventure anyways. But I think this gives people a really good base coat layer of understanding the foundation. Um, and so it's awesome. So some of those people that are listening, this may be the first one they listen to, right. which is neat that they can go back and listen to the one I've talked to somebody over here and I was like, uh, you know, she popped up on live and was like, Ooh, you know, I'm like, this is like, cool. Like this is, you know, like, and she asked me questions about us. Like, how does it work? Is it go? I mean, is it, does the openness go both ways? I'm like, I could answer the question, but if you listen to the first right. episode, <laughs> trust me, not only will you get tenfold more, but you'll get her perspective and, right, um, right. you know, so that's that. So any closing words for your episode? Um, well, it was very interesting. I had no idea how you were going to lay it out. And kind of going down the, the lane of my, uh, of the history is interesting. I had not thought about, um, I, there are some like periods of time that I do not think about normally, like, you know, preschool and, you know, uh, how did I feel living in in Lithuania and those things I don't feel don't think about I definitely don't think about like the time before uh, like the kids like John and stuff a lot you know so it was good to think about that and analyze it a little bit and see it from the outside perspective yeah a little nostalgia all right can you before we say our gratefuls can you Thank everybody for listening to the Black Russian podcast and say something special and nice to them in Russian. Sure. Спасибо всем за участие, за вопросы, за то, что вы слушаете, и мы будем продолжать. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll get Gratefuls. into our gratefuls. First of all, we'll thank DJ Ambush for the instrumentals mood music undertones uh, and that, good vibes yeah good vibes all around good human being good Thank friend um, so yeah I'm grateful for sunshine and heat you stole my grateful oh <laughs> your sunshine it's been we've been through a lot in California I mean you know lots of relatives <laughs> I mean we needed we were in a drought for almost a decade and we finally got the rain we've been praying for but it won't stop and we're kind of like, wow. But we got some sunshine, and it feels like it just helps remember what it was like. Like, oh, this is amazing. So I'm really grateful for the sunshine. Well, because you stole my uh, grateful, I'll go to the second one. I'm really grateful being a part of the mixed family. I felt it uh, last night was really cool when I was the only white person in the house. Right. Uh, Tion's mom and her family were here for a party and it was really cool. I, I felt really good about it. it. I felt like there's so much to learn and uh, I am at the inferior position and that was really good. That's like nice. That felt good. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful for um, both your dad and my mom turning 70 seemingly healthy and happier than maybe they've been in a calmer place than they've been through their lives. Um, 
Yeah, that's a really good. That's a really good thing. They both mm-hmm. are upright, walking, dancing, smiling, laughing. Yep. You know that's and close beautiful. to us. And close. Yep. Um, well, I'm grateful for both you and I getting closer with Aaron and being and recognizing that it's a two-way street, that it is not a uh, situation where we expect him to grow and be perfect on his own, that it takes a lot of input and help from our side as well. Yeah. And the final one I'm grateful for is for people like Emery Douglas and Uncle Clark who are really close to my dad through friendship and through the Black Panther Party that helped me learn a lot about my dad and about myself through the stories that they have about him growing up Mm -hmm. and his relationship with my mom and just the different characteristics that I carry with him that I would have no idea that I do Um, and just learning about how they were growing up you know, as young Black Panthers trying to figure out how to navigate friendship, love, family, and the revolution, you know, just <laughs> at the age of older. 17, right, the age of 17, 18, 19. Yeah. I mean, dealing with stuff like that, dealing with, like, COINTELPRO and, like, being on watch lists, and they're, like, in their 20s, you know, flying to China and Cuba and, like... Did- Huh? Emory Douglas was, you know, traveling because he was traveling at that time and, I mean, going to places they weren't supposed to go and, like, oh, all types wow. of crazy stuff. So just learning so much about my father's origin story through his friends. Um, just, see, you know, you learn so much about yourself you, through learning about your parents. And a lot of times you don't get to um, hear those stories from anybody but your parents. Right, and, and that's it, not the same. Right, it's not the same. And when you get to hear from people who don't have a dog in the fight or, you know, just see it a different perspective, it's really amazing. And I'm grateful to have people like that um, close to me that I can speak to um, and listen to more so and just soak up game and just, wow, just enriches the life that we live as a young panther cub. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this is episode seven, the Black Russian podcast. Next episode will be the black episode. The, I will start preparing. Yes, the newbie and the Panther Cub, the Tion Michael Tucson Torrance <laughs> episode. Um, so yeah, glad you have a good time. Please continue. I appreciate you guys listening, your ears, your chiming in, your comments, your follows, all that stuff means a lot to us as we continue. Thank you. Buku one. And you love. Oh, there's no last name. <laughs> no, there is. We established that. That's there's right. no That's last name. All right. That's what it is. Black Russian Podcast. Sure. Mm-hmm.
slip, slip. Yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop bombs. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's choking now. The clock's run out. Time's up. He's broke, he's so stagnant, he knows when he goes back.